It's good to be with you today. My name is George Hinman, and I'm glad to worship Jesus together with you. They say that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. But somehow, in the geometry of heaven, the way that God gets us there is through divine detours. Divine detours. Timothy learned this from his mentor, the Apostle Paul. And today we're going to read about the beginning of their relationship and an experience of a divine detour. So I would invite you to pull out your own Bible uh, with me and turn to Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 10. If you don't have a Bible or you'd like just to read along on the screen, we'll put the words up. When I'm done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, we're reading God's holy word. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 10. Paul went on also to Derbe and to Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went from town to town, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Amen. Amen. Divine detours. If you're looking at a map of this little travel log that Luke just gave us in Acts chapter 16, you'll see the squiggle of a divine detour. Okay, this area is Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And they begin, Paul and Timothy, in Southeast Asia Minor, the town of Lystra. This is where Timothy grew up. Paul meets Timothy there, takes him with him, and off they go. They want to go west, probably to Ephesus, but the Spirit says no. Then they say, well, let's go north, up to Bithynia, but the Spirit says no. And they say, what? And they kind of drift down to the sea little town called Troas, where ancient Troy had been, and it's here God gives Paul some kind of a vision to go across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia, uh, that area across the water. This is a divine detour. It's not until God gets Paul and Timothy where he wants them to be that he gives them the vision and helps them to see what he wants them to see. Now, divine detours are just a part of the life of faith. And Timothy learns this. He learns that along the way, the geometry of heaven takes us through many divine detours. For one young adult, 
It happened in the basement of a Mexican restaurant. In this uh, group of articles that we've been referencing in the New York Times called Life After College is Weird, one of the articles is entitled, I was a lawyer, then I found my calling in the basement of a Mexican restaurant. And this young man writes that my three-year stint at a mid-sized law firm was, to put it mildly, soul-withering. I hated the emphasis on billable hours. I hated being called into the office on a Sunday because a partner felt like escaping his family. Most of all, I hated that for the first six months I was repeatedly referred to as Jason, which for context is not my name. Uh, it sounds like I've got a crusade against lawyers. I don't. It's his story. And by the way, his name is Justin. But Justin has a, a turning point in his life. And it happened in a basement of a Mexican restaurant. See, he, he had been on the lawyer path. That, that was what he was meant to do. And went to college and law school and joined a firm for three years. And then there was a change. There was a a detour in his life. He, he started writing. He wrote comedy. And uh, eventually he would go on to write for Jimmy Fallon and James Corden and writing for Superstar Store uh, even today. It's a detour. And all of us experience detours in life. Those of us who are navigating that transition into life after college need to be able to plan on uh, detours. And so the question today is, what would you learn from Timothy and Paul in their experience of detours. Well, it's weird, and before we go further with the answer to that question, let's just take a moment and get a snapshot from some of our young adults. We've asked a different panel, a few of our young adults who are a few years out of college so that we could experience with them what those detours look like. Let's watch this clip. My name is Fan. I graduated from college uh, 2013. So my name is Alex. Um, I graduated in Technically, 2017. So my name is Jacinta Milu. I just graduated my second degree this year. Anna Gibson, yes. Um, so I graduated in 2011 from my undergrad and 2012 from my master's. There's like this ownership in school. If, you, if I fail, uh, professors or postdocs or whatever, they will help me out. But I think in work, it's like, oh, I, if it's, this is really, I'm taking on a project myself. School is pretty straightforward. You know what to input and the output, you know, what you are expect is expected of you. In the workplace, there's a lot of uncertainties of how things turn up. I think it's so easy to not really set a boundary for yourself. Like I, I remember having, um, a supervisor in her previous job who would send emails at 2 a.m. See that email. I get all stressed and panicky, and then it's 2 a.m. and I'm up because I feel like I have to do some sort of, you know, action. I have no control over my time or my schedule, um, and our days can stretch, and most of the time do stretch 12 to 14 hours. And so the question's actually, like, what does Monday through Friday, what does it mean to be a Christian? Being able to work with all these non-Christians, and probably your boss is also not Christian, and their values are not what you value, and you have that, but it's a very delicate balance. My understanding of what career I'm going to pick is largely influenced by my parents and greater family. I always wonder, like, what if I can, what if I want to do something different? I paid all that money for this education. Maybe I'm in debt. Maybe I've had five different internships. I've had all of these experiences, and I need to prove myself right now and I need to show this potential employer that I am the right candidate. 
And I think sometimes I can backfire. Is this worth it? Is this lifestyle actually worth it? Am I my job and nothing else? Or do I actually think I need other things in my life to be a healthy, holistic human? Now, so how do you plan for divine detour? Well, this text teaches us three things. And here's the first. You pray for frustration. You pray for frustration. Because at the end of your life, you want to be able to look back and say, the spirit of Jesus did not allow me. Just imagine the frustration that Paul and Timothy must have felt in this experience. The text tells us they're forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Uh, Verse 6. Then they try to go into Bithynia and we read the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Verse 7. I don't know what actually happened there. Luke sort of blanks that. It might be that there was a prophecy, a vision, but usually in Acts, that's described explicitly and there's none of that there. This could be something very ordinary, something uh, circumstantial, like, uh, I don't know, they couldn't get their visa stamp, someone got sick, there was bad weather, uh, political and military turmoil. For some reason, they couldn't get in these directions. They're just sort of stuck there. And it's gotta be so frustrating for Paul in particular. Here's the great apostle Paul. He's got a great plan for the evangelization of the world. He's got a new mentee, Timothy, and he's like, watch this work, bud, and kushazam, and they can't get out of the parking lot. How frustrating is that? Well, wherever you go in life, you won't get there without frustration. Today, they tell us that if you're in your 20s, you're going to go through an average of eight jobs in that decade. The designers at the design firm Idio say every creative project goes through a U-shaped curve with hope on one side and confidence on the other side. And in the bottom, they call it the foggy period. And it feels like failure. Robert Schuller once said, all successful people are experienced in failure. And that's frustrating. That's frustrating. But what if that's the way it's supposed to be? Notice the little hint that Luke, who's writing here, gives us. See, Paul's frustrated, undoubtedly, but Luke tells us that the spirit of Jesus is at work. The spirit of Jesus is doing something, that out of view, behind the scenes, this is the theological understanding of what's happening there, the spirit of Jesus is the one not allowing them to go in this direction or that. They are not stuck. They're right where the spirit of Jesus wants them to be. They're on a divine detour. You see, the Bible tells us why why we need to pray for uh, uh, frustration. And it's that our desires are not always aligned with God's desires. We don't always want what God wants. We see this in uh, Isaiah 55, verse 9, for example, where we read, the Lord says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts, then your thoughts. In other words, we don't think like God. We don't know what God knows. And we don't want what God wants all the time. And Paul says in Romans 7.15, even when I do want what God wants, I don't tend to do it. He says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Martin Luther, the reformer, said, you know, your job is always going to be frustrating to you. Your calling, is the way he spoke about it, your vocation will always be frustrating to you. And the reason for that is we tend to want to make it about ourselves, where it's supposed to be about God and the good of our neighbor. 
And so Luther says there's always going to be a cross in your vocation. And that cross is there to defeat your sinfulness and to deconstruct your selfishness. And that's frustrating. That doesn't feel good. He describes it this way. He says, one who is baptized unto death with Christ must be put to death by the cross. Under this cross are included even the most trivial of difficulties, such as in marriage, the care of babes, which interferes with sleep and enjoyment. In government, unruly subjects and promoters of revolt. In ministry, the whole resistance to reformation. In heavy labor, shabbiness and cleanness and the contempt of the proud. All of this is bracketed by the high and holy cross of Christ. It's there for a reason. Your work is frustrating for a reason. You're in a process that's refining who you are. Your desires becoming ever more the desires of God. You ought to pray for that process. You ought to pray for the frustration of your desires. Because history is littered with people who have done just exactly what they wanted to do and done it in the name of religion, and that's caused great pain and destruction wherever that's happened. We ought to pray like Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prays to his heavenly Father, whom he knows loves him, for the frustration of his own will. Father, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. See that? If we worship a God who only and always wants what we want, at the end of the day, we're just worshiping ourselves, not the real God who's worthy of our worship. Oh Lord, when I want nothing but the maintenance of my own comfort and privilege, frustrate me, oh Lord. Oh Lord, when I want nothing but what the culture wants and what will make me look good in the eyes of society, frustrate me, oh Lord. Oh Lord, when I'm so resigned to my sin sickness, that I'm unwilling to turn around and be healed. Frustrate me, O Lord. O Lord, when my trifling plans for a life diminish and squander the gift of my life, frustrate me, O Lord. To ready yourself for a divine detour, you've got to pray for frustration. You've got to give God permission to frustrate you. That's the first lesson. And the second is this. If you're going to prepare for a divine detour, you walk in wisdom. You walk in wisdom. Because at the end of your life, you want to look back and be able to say, I passed by and I went. I passed by and I went. See, the problem with detours is we lose our sense of direction, right? We get disoriented. Which way are we going? Which way should we go? And Paul and Timothy probably would have loved to have had a detour sign like we have on our detours. It tells you not only that there's a detour, but that there's a way around the detour. There's, there appears to be no sign for Paul here. So what are you going to do? Right? And you probably experienced that yourself. The program you want to get into you know, doesn't admit you. The, the, the job that you're working on becomes soul withering or just goes away like so many jobs under uh, the pandemic. Oh, you're looking for work and you're applying again and again, sending resumes, going online, uh, hundreds of applications, but don't even hear back from, from anybody. What, what am I going to do now? You know, I'm already on plan B, C, D, E, F, G, Q. I, I'm out of options seemingly. Paul understands this at this moment. What he does is, 
he walks in wisdom. Notice that Paul makes his own decision. He chooses a new direction and a new activity and he walks in it. He, he, he goes towards Troas and he presses past Mysia. He, he says he passed by and went down. Now, he had been uh, sharing the word in Asia. That was what he wanted to do in Asia when he, when he got defeated by the Holy Spirit. You'd think that he'd keep doing the same thing in Mysia, but he doesn't. And, and there's no sign as to why. It's, it, there's no word from the Lord. There's no uh, vision or prophetic voice. There's no circumstantial um, reason for that. It appears that Paul just made a decision. We don't get insight into his thinking, but what, but what he's doing is modeling for Timothy that in the absence of clear direction, what you do is you walk in wisdom. You walk in wisdom. When I was a college student, I found myself, particularly after I came to faith in Jesus, my senior year, obsessed with the question, God, what is your will for my life? I asked that a lot. What is your will for my life? I asked people, what do you think? What is God's will for my life? And I, and I didn't hear anything. Right? I, it was weird. Total radio silence. I wanted this sense of calling that other people had. I mean, this guy, Justin, said he found his calling in the basement of Mexican restaurant. I wanted that, but there was nothing. I had been raised as a lawyer. I've told you I'm the first Hinman male in four generations not to be a lawyer since they were farmers. And, uh, and yet I didn't want to be a lawyer. I had actually three summers in a law firm in front of a photocopier who had convinced me that this was not for me. I had enough of that. And again, I'm not down on lawyers. If you're into justice, if God calls you to that, that's a wonderful vocation. But I had no sense that he was calling me to that. What I enjoyed by that time in my, in my life was ministry. I just loved campus ministry. I wanted to do more and more of it. It, it was exciting to me and, and rewarding to, to me. And so I remember praying, Lord, I, if you want me to become a lawyer, then speak to me in an audible voice. I'm listening. If you want me to become a lawyer, then light something on fire like you did for Moses, a bush or a chair or a desk or my roommate, and speak to me really clearly. George, I want you to be a lawyer. Otherwise, I'm going to go into the ministry. Is that okay? That's what I want to do. And I did. That's how I got into ministry. Now, I do believe God has called me to ministry. And I do believe God has a plan. But the way that God chose to get me there was through an act of wisdom. Me making my decision. See, there, there are two ways that God can get you where God wants you. One is he can give you direction. The other is wisdom. He can give you direction. This is what Paul do, the, the Lord does for Paul and Timothy when he prevents them through the Holy Spirit from going into Asia or up to Bithynia. That's direction. This is what the Lord does for Paul when in Troas he gets a vision and says, come over. That's direction. God says, I'm going to decide for you. But wisdom, in the absence of direction, is when God says, mm -mm, you're going to decide. This is going to be your decision. And you do it on the basis of wisdom. So, but what is wisdom, right? Well, wisdom is a faithful response to what God has already revealed about his will. Wisdom is a faithful response to what God has already revealed about his will. You see, God has said an awful lot to us about what his will is for our lives. Just to give you a sample of a few, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, we read, what does the Lord your God require of you? Only to fear the Lord, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. It's really clear. Or in Micah 6.8, we read, He has told you, O mortal, what is good, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. It's really clear. 
or Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That's really clear. One more, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That means be holy. That you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. So it's really clear. This is God's will, uh, the Bible is saying. We say to God, God, what's your will for my life? And God says to us, I think, well, what have you done with what I've already told you? I mean, if somebody hasn't done what you've told them, would you feel very obligated to tell them more? So God has said an awful lot to us about his will. And he says, you're ready now. You're equipped now to take steps and to walk in that. And that's what, what wisdom is. And I want you to know, it's a wonderful thing that the Lord trusts us this way. And this is, this is really what we mean when we talk about stewardship. Stewardship is, is a great responsibility and privilege. It's, it's the implication that the Lord trusts you. We read in the Bible that we're to trust in the Lord, but it's also true that he trusts in us. He entrusts to us decisions about his world and the lives he has given us. That's what a steward, a steward does. A steward has been given uh, both things and the authority to make choices about those things. The steward holds on to what belongs to the owner to make decisions on behalf of the owner. That's what stewardship is, and this is what our lives are. We're stewards of the gift of life. That's what your career is. So you could ask yourself, hey, what does the stewardship of my career look like when I think about it that way? How will I be a steward of my time, my energy, uh, my life? And by the way, you have to decide that. That's your decision, not God's decision. It's your responsibility, not his. And to do it in a way that brings glory to God and for the good of your neighbor. There are no signposts at times, and when there aren't, then you walk in wisdom. So if you're going to prepare for a divine detour, you need to pray for frustration. You need to walk in, in wisdom. And then third, you believe the good news. Believe the good news. Because you want to look back on your life and say, just what Paul says in verse 10, God has called me to proclaim the good news. Ah, there it is. There's the clarity he's been looking for. And you want to say that about your own life because it has become the story of your life. Because the good news has become the story of your life. It's been the story at the root of your life. The story that generates your life. See, the good news is that no matter where you go, no matter how long it takes you to get you where you're going, how many twists or turns it takes, you will never find yourself at a dead end with Jesus. No, God is the God of divine detours. And there's no such thing as a cul-de-sac of impossibility. Remember, he brought life out of death. This is the gospel. This is the good news. When we say gospel, what we mean is the story that God has reconciled the world to himself in Jesus Christ. The story that God has approached us in a human being in, in Jesus Christ. God has entered into our fallen alienated and lost humanity. It's, it's, a, it's a U shape. It's a divine, de this is a great divine detour. God entered into our lives as a servant, as a human being in order to bring us back home. The great divine detour. It's the story of the gospel. And it's the only story that gets us where we're meant to be. 
It's a story that we want to take to work. Have you thought about taking the gospel into your workplace? Not just to share it, but to live it. Wendell Berry, the great poet, farmer, uh, says this, the significance and ultimately the quality of the work we do is determined by our understanding of the story in which we are living, the story in which we are taking part. What's the story in which you're living? Now, for most of us, uh, the story we're living is called by sociologists and philosophers expressive individualism. What is expressive individualism? What does, that, what does that even mean? Well, it's the, it's the burden we feel we are under, that our purpose in life is to articulate who we uniquely are to the world, to find our passion, uh, to, to follow your heart, to you be you. And when we live and work under that story, then our work becomes um, an expression of our unique identity. And it becomes a source of fulfillment, if not the source of fulfillment. We're supposed to find fulfilling jobs. It's, it's kind of the way we talk about it. That's expressive individualism at work. But I want to tell you, be very careful, because that is not the gospel story. And that story is, can be profoundly destructive for people. Let me Three reasons. First of all, number one, it's a story of privilege. That's a story of privilege. You ask the janitor who cleans that basement in which Justin found his calling to comedy, if they do their work because it's fulfilling for them. I would guess she or he would tell you that's not why I do this job. Privilege. The other problem with that story, secondly, is that it throws ourselves just back on ourselves again. You go, I don't know. I don't know what I'm passionate about. I don't really know. Clearly, where my heart wants me to follow. That's a big burden to put on a young person, let alone an old person. Throws it back on ourselves. And the third thing is, we never should find fulfillment anywhere other than Jesus. And the, the idea that we can find fulfillment in our work, that's just a lie. That's just not true. And, and it will ultimately disappoint us. The sooner you discover that, the better. We're meant to find fulfillment in God, in Jesus Christ and in nowhere else. COVID-19 COVID is, uh, is I mean, we haven't been in this that long, but COVID-19, it's been clarifying for, for many of us. I read an article recently in Vox uh, called uh, The End of Productivity. You know, is this the end of productivity? And they make the argument in the article that there's a real danger between linking our identity and productivity together. In fact, here we have a professor at Boston University and that article says productivity is the currency by which we measure our own self-worth. And you can just see, if that's the currency of your self-worth, your productivity, what happens when it drops, right? We, your self-worth and its currency just deflates dramatically. And it can be devastating. This is the problem with Willie Loman, you know, in Death of, the, of a Salesman. The problem is that Willie Loman isn't Willie Loman, he's a salesman. He's linked his identity with his productivity. And so when the sales drop, what happens to his self worth? And he's not a salesman anymore because he can't sell anything, he's just a nobody. And that's devastating. That's devastating for him, and it's devastating for anybody. So there's a bitter story. The only place where we find meaning, significance, self-worth, the love that we all yearn for is in Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel. 
that it's available to us in Christ. Now, Paul knows this because this is not Paul's first divine detour. He's been on this before. And if you've been reading Acts, as we haven't been doing, all the way through from the beginning, you have this huge story of Paul's first divine detour. He's on the road to Damascus. He's breathing threats of violence because there are people out there that undermine his identity and he can't tolerate that. So he's actually killing Christians. And then what happens? He has this encounter. There is the living Christ. Jesus Christ steps in. Man, that turns his world around. He's about to have the biggest divine detour of his life. And uh, he moves in a totally different direction now. So the gospel starts to shape the story of his life. And uh, Paul tells Timothy about this, right? I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man of violence, he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.13. Remember, Paul is one of the most highly trained scholars of his day. He was at, literally at the top of his career, at that point, extremely respected. And yet he says, whatever gains I had, these I've come to regard as loss because of Christ. All of that, all the accolades, the success, quote unquote, to me it's like loss compared to knowing Jesus Christ. This is the divine detour. And how does it happen? Not because of Paul, not because Paul turns his life around, it's because he's turned around by Jesus. It's because of the power of the gospel at work in his life. Paul knows he couldn't do it. He calls himself the chief of sinners which he says just because I hadn't been born yet. But uh, at that time, he was the chief of sinners. And he says to, to Timothy, but here, look, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He forgives sins and he brings salvation. This is the gospel. Through the gospel, our Lord looks to you and offers you forgiveness of sins. He says to you, your future will not be defined by your past. He says to you, what you have done does not have any bearing on what you shall do. You are forgiven. And that long journey that might feel to you so chaotic and meaningless, like a waste, those months or years of your life, he says to you what he said to Israel in exile, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. He can do that. Forgiveness of sins. And then salvation. Salvation is the promise of healing and restoration. Our Lord says through the gospel, I can heal you. I can restore you. I can pull you through this life and into the next. And that's what happens on a divine detour with Jesus. To get ready for that, pray for frustration. Walk in wisdom. And believe the good news. Let's see if our emerging adults have experienced the geometry of heaven in their own lives. Watch this clip. Um, when I was little, like age five or six, if you'd asked me what I was going to do when I grew up, I would have always said a teacher. And my sight set on that. And from that age on, that was it. I taught my siblings. That's exactly what I, I went to school to learn what to teach, history and math. And then I went right from there into my first teaching job. Um, and it was such an interesting uh, spiritual journey, I will say, to, to figure out by the fifth year that actually maybe that's no longer what I needed to be doing in that season of life. Um, that's two, two decades of an answer to a question, a very clear answer to a question that all of a sudden was no longer the answer to the question. I fully believe that God directs our steps, even though man thinks they plan their course. And I didn't plan this course by any means, but I'm in a job that I didn't even know what it was when I applied. And I barely knew what it was when I started on the first day. Um, 
Um, I actually find much more comfort in being a Christian because of that, um, that it's okay. Even if the next career, I don't know what it is, or maybe it doesn't exist yet, I, I can look back and see his faithfulness, and I know that that's going to continue as I go forward. I have this false expectation, uh, almost, that it's always going to be successful. I know mm-hmm. it's, a, it's like a fairy tale. Uh, your career is always going to go up, but that's really not the case. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I, I think in that sense, um, it's sort of like the way Jesus meddling and also just like encouraging me throughout my, throughout my journey. I was fired from a job. Um, and this was the job that was supposed to jumpstart my career. I was like, this is what I want to do. Like good benefits, good salary. Yes, I made it. Right. Um, and God had other plans, you know, just because God closes a door doesn't mean that there's another one that he's holding wide open for you. And I think it's the, it's hindsight. It's having gone through these experiences that made me realize this tour detour that God has taken me was a necessary one because at the end of this path is that open door that he's holding wide open for me. And the door that I thought was closing on me, the door that was open that closed was actually not the door I was supposed to go into. I walked in the wrong door, Mm. you know, and now I'm where I need to be. It's important to really listen to God. It's important to take time and listen because sometimes the doors that really open, sometimes it's not what uh, we, we have been called into. And it's, I have been in jobs that I last wondered, why did I even sign up for this job? It was so crucial for me when I wanted it. And I really, you know, did well in the interview and I got the job. But later, in, in, in retrospect, I just realized, oh, I feel like this was not the real, this was not what I really wanted to do. And what was God really wanted me to do. So I just learned that it's, it's good to really go for the jobs that are open, but it's also good to listen to God first. Let let, the, let, let, let God guide you because sometimes it's not, you might jump into what might not be very necessary for you. Aren't they great? Thank you guys. I wonder where our Savior will take them. A divine detour. If you're on one today, it means that you're not going where you thought you were going. But it also means you're not stuck where you are right now. And most of all, it means that you are going to a better place and you're going with one who loves you infinitely. You just can't see it right now. I think in that final vision that God gave the Apostle Paul, it was an image of a neighbor, right? A distant neighbor in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. Paul would respond to that affirmatively and he'd be the first person in recorded history to take the good news of the gospel to Europe. Amazing. Who would have thought of it? Who would have even dreamt of that? Come over and help us. I bet the Apostle Paul, when he heard those words, thought, yes, yes. What a wonderful invitation because the gospel, the good news, is so helpful. It's help for him, it's help for his neighbor, and it's help for you and me as well. Let's believe it. Would you join me in prayer? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do trust you. When we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we see that you have given what is most valuable to claim us as your children. We thank you for that. 
Thank you for the estimation in your eyes that we are worthy of such love. We receive it. We want to follow you as our good shepherd because nobody has demonstrated such love for us but you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray, individually and together as a church that we might have the courage to follow you wherever you lead, even when we don't know where we're going. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.